0: Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams.
1: Oh yeah! Hello, 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 my lovely Liony Sugar beets. Yes, my sweet beats out there. Hey, everybody. Uh, This is going to be a little little segment that I want to do before I get into the show proper. So you're going to hear me introduce the show all over again (laughs) in about three minutes. But there's just too much going on. And I wanted to address one thing really quickly right at the top of the show before I bring my guest today, which is Robin Kerner. And we get into uh, the topic of toxic masculinity. Because with all these great guests I've been having, I haven't had a chance to actually do many current events, which is what this show is supposed to be focused on. So I want to do a quick handling of a topic or two at the top of this show, and I'm going to be doing a lot more talking in a bonus episode for our Pride group. So unfortunately this week, guys, uh, most of ELL will be Pride only in its current events format. However, trust me, the stuff with Robin coming up is fantastic. Now, that being said, top of the show, I have to talk about the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act and the fact that. Despite Rand Paul's objections, despite the objections of virtually all Americans and anybody who should remember all of the horrible things that President Obama did with the NSA, the FBI and all the spying apparatus on domestic Americans, as well as Americans abroad regarding brazen violations of our basic rights under the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, of course that didn't seem to matter because section 702 was successfully passed through the house and then successfully passed through the senate with little opposition i think there were maybe 40 senators that opposed it that's just insane and don't quote me on that number by the way but that that is absolutely ridiculous especially considering the fact that the president even countermanded his own tweet and his own support. You know, he's he's voicing support for this FISA program and, uh, and the Section 702 and the NSA's ability to spy on people. And then in another tweet condemning it because that was exactly what Obama did using these secret FISA courts to spy upon Donald Trump, to use this GPS document, so the theory goes, allegedly— uses this GPS document which was created and paid for by Hillary Clinton and the DNC to then open up the emails and open up the wiretaps and enable them to listen in on Donald Trump and then try to claim collusion. Now, that's one thing that's shocking enough. And in conjunction with that, it also came out this, this week, after we get slapped in the face with Section 702's renewal, it also comes out this week that the NSA which was required to keep some, I think it's something like five years of of, uh, information about surveillance and data and records like that. Uh, But they just lost it. And there's several lawsuits, more than several lawsuits that are going on right now, which legally required the NSA to keep all of those, those records of all of this documented spying that was going on, which we know occurred. But no, guess what? Oh no, the NSA lost it which, of course, brings up the question of who is watching The Watchers. And this echoes even more thoroughly because the news that just came out today, and I'm recording this on Tuesday, uh, fresh off the presses for you guys in the morning, but the news came out that not only is the NSA deleting things and blocking things, but also the FBI agents that were working to... You know, working with Mueller, working on all these investigations, working with Comey, working uh, to basically undermine Donald Trump and working to push the narrative of Russia collusion through. Well, texting back and forth about how he's such a joke, texting back and forth about what has now, according to certain members of uh, Congress, been referred to as a secret society from text messages that have been released from Peter Strzok and his lover. Say there's a secret society working against Donald Trump. Those people who have a clearly documented bias from within the FBI showcasing the deep state at work and the deep state's heavy bias against not only Donald Trump, but perhaps the entire Republican uh, side of things, let alone libertarians, God knows what they think of us. But the FBI says that they do not have the records of some 5,000 text messages, something like that. They lost Five months worth of information, and it just coincidentally happens to be the five months leading up to the election and the five months where all of this was going on. All of the most important texting and all of the most important collusion going on between these FBI agents and who knows who else, that's what they happen to lose. And in the wake of all of this, Section 702 is passed. Just sit back and take that and let it wash over you. Let the waves of ineptitude, uh, the waves of clear violations of law, because you're not allowed to delete, destroy any evidence pertaining to a criminal case. And that is, by the way, what is ongoing here, not only with the NSA, but also with the FBI. And also let the wave wash over you. Let it soak into your skin That our politicians that passed this bill and renewed Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, they did this knowing full well that it was just used against them internally, knowing full well that this goes on on a continued basis, knowing full well that all of these apparatus are stonewalling Congress in their attempts to get basic information and basic accountability back. And they still passed it. Now, there's a lot of things you can take away from that. Number one, you could say that these people are just imbeciles who are completely brainwashed by the capabilities that they think that the NSA has in preventing terrorist attacks, even though there has not been a single terrorist attack that we can actually trace back to any of these programs. All the terrorist attacks spoiled were false flags, well, not even false flags, were operations that were already planned and put into place by the FBI to ensnare terrorists. So basically, FBI created plots that they then defused themselves. Well done, guys. That's like intentionally trying to have a baby just to abort it. Doesn't make much sense. But not only that, so that's one option. Maybe they're just completely blinded. Option number two is that they know full well that the NSA is doing this, and they just don't give a damn. Because all of the establishment shills are on one team. All of the people that are in government to stay in government, to grow government, could give two dams about Donald Trump having his rights violated because they all unanimously would have preferred to have Hillary Clinton in there. And to them, the ends justifies the means. The means, of course, being the spying apparatus, which they have now renewed in perpetuity. That is a disgusting and terrifying thing. And I think that is more than likely what the actual scenario is. That all of these people are completely happy knowing that they're all being spied upon because they are on the inside. They are part of this owl-worshipping Illuminati cult that is the Senate and the House. And anybody that happens to be on the outside, well, leave them to the wolves. All right, that's enough for the top of the show. I will link to those in the show notes. You can find that at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL56. Otherwise, guys, our Pride students are going to get the rest of This week's extra special bulletin where I will talk about my encounters with the Reason Foundation for a school choice event that I attended tonight, as well as talking about some of the other breaking events that are going through the news cycle. So without further ado, I usher you into the regular episode that was supposed to air today. All right, welcome to Electric Liberty Land, everybody. I am Brian McWilliams, as always, your lovely and uh slightly slightly hoarse Voice toast for this episode. I was uh, telling our guest today, who I'll introduce in just a moment, that I'm, uh, I'm suffering a little bit from the hangover bug. <laughs> I had a little too much fun last night, but it wouldn't be Electric Liberty Land if I wasn't slightly inebriated or otherwise impaired. So today, guys, our episode is episode number 56, which means you can find it at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL56 for any of the show notes, more information, and article links on our guest a man who has been on the show before, I find him to be uh, not only informative but also very entertaining. The one and only Robin Kerner. How you doing, Robin?
0: I am well, Brian. How well I know how you're doing because you've just told us. Yes. So maybe I'm doing a little better than you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hopefully. I mean, I think most
1: people on a da- like a daily given basis are doing slightly better than me. So it's okay. great because I always have something to aspire to. <laughs>
0: Okay. Now we, um, you had to do the intro to this show twice, um, for reasons that the listeners don't need to know. And the first time you said this was show number 57, and I this time I, you I, said 56.
1: I corrected myself. So it's good. And okay. that it dropped out because I, I said 57 and then I was like, you know what? I think that's wrong. <laughs> and God agreed. <laughs> God killed off the audio recording to make sure that the, that the people. That's what it was. we well, good. There
0: good. You go. There you go. There were no accidents.
1: A little divine intervention never hurt anybody. Mm. Mm. So I, uh, before we get deep into it. So Robin is, is famous for coining the phrase blue Republican. And, uh, and that's something which I think is still, still holds water to this day. But you've taken that and, and really exploded onto the scene even more so. You're an author now, uh, with a book called If You Can Keep It about, uh, liberty. And oh, I should read the whole title. If You Can Keep It, Why We Nearly Lost It and How We, we Get It Back, talking about liberty. And, also, you are now on the uh, the faculty for the Foundation for Economic Education. So you were telling me a little bit before when we were just chatting, but I'm curious to hear you know how that's going, how you got involved with uh, with fee because that's just an organization that I absolutely
0: yeah love. fee is fantastic. Um, I, I don't just like the yeah the fact that obviously they're a bunch of liberty lovers, although they are. I kind of like their humane spirit, right? And they're kind of broader perspective they don't get stuck in um you know repeating arguments about how many libertarians can dance on the head of a pin you know <laughs> yeah, what i mean yeah. and and so I, I love fee um and i think it happened my joining them as a, a member of fa- their faculty network i think is the yeah, title exactly. or something <laughs> yeah that's what they call it um th- i think i think the instigator of my being given that honor was was probably jeffrey tucker because i've for the last two or three years, I've been finding myself in rooms with him, on stages with him increasingly. And we've had some great back and forths. So this is um, voluntary,
1: though. This isn't like you were stalking him and you're hiding in the podium kind of
0: thing. <laughs> this is all voluntary, correct? Well, we're libertarians. Everything's voluntary, right? <laughs> um, uh, no, 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 of course. No, I uh, – yeah, 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 yeah. I I, I mean, I, I don't know. We just, there were just a couple of events with him and me where – I don't know, here and there around the place. I think there was an ISFLC, you know, DC one, Students for Liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there was actually a fee one and they invited me to participate before they made me a network faculty member, whatever, whatever, something like that. But anyway, I've been spending kind of more time with Jeffrey on and off at certain events. And, and um, I think he was the one who was kind enough to to suggest, um, you know, they're adding me to their their roles as it were. And I was down in Atlanta where the fee offices are. Oh, I'm going to say, I think it was fall 2016. Mm -hmm. So maybe a year and a quarter ago. And, um, we had a lovely lunch with some of the staff down there. And, uh, you know, they told me that I was now, it's an honorary thing, right? It's a, it's, um, a recognition of, I guess, one's, one's thinking, one's a a illustrious
1: company. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's right.
0: And it is too. I mean, there's such such fantastic writers and minds who also write on Feet. So it's a real honor. And, um, but more practically for me, it's, I I would say now it's my best platform in terms of just getting large numbers of people to see, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my writing about the things that I care about. And, and obviously if you're anything of a you know, dare I say public intellectuals. Any value you add mm. uh, is proportional to the number of minds that you influence, right? right so yeah. having a platform like Fee is 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 fantastic and I, I really am grateful for it. Um and some of you know I have put quite a bit of stuff out on Fee now and some of it's done very well. Um so I uh, yeah, I'm happy to be a part of that. And also actually I should say last year I was uh I did one of my Political communication trainings mm-hmm. at FECON. FEE had their first convention in Atlanta, oh, and
1: I didn't even realize that they had it. Was it was it pretty uh, pretty robust?
0: It, I, I'm going to go even further than that. I'm going to say it might have been the best Liberty convention I have ever been to in my life.
1: Oh wow! Okay.
0: Yeah. Wow. Indeed. Uh, I, I think a lot of us were pretty blown away from it uh, by it. Um, but from it, <laughs> <laughs> buy it. Uh, but uh, so I'm, you know, I'm hoping to get an invite to the next one this year. We shall see, right? We shall well,
1: see. I would, I would presume. I mean, it's it's not a party without Robin Kerner there. And, uh, you oh, are, you well, are in the faculty, it. after all. And
0: uh. <laughs> as long as the party's just, you know, involves eating too much food and drinking copious quantities of British tea, <laughs> then it's party. But I'm, I'm, yeah, other than that, I can be pretty tame. <laughs>
1: Well, I uh I am a a big cheerleader for you and I love this success that you're having. So that's awesome. And Thank anytime you, you can have a bigger that. platform is great. So and that's what so the article today that I wanted to talk about uh was a recent article that you had written for Fee, and mm. it was called uh The Cure for Toxic Well, oh, hold on. I'm <laughs> like I started talking and then my page froze. The cure for toxic masculinity is real masculinity and i don't want to uh, i'll i'll give you the the sound bite to to sum up what the story is about and then we could talk a little bit about the themes uh, your arguments within it and how it's reflective in what's going on today in society
0: all oh, right wow Not to put huh. you on the spot i mean i could yeah, take you. No, yeah no i was thinking how how do, do, do i that. summarize it briefly <laughs> right i mean okay so First of all, the cure for toxic masculinity is real masculinity. The word toxic should be in quotes, right? Right. Because like many people, this whole notion of toxic masculinity, I find the notion somewhat, well, toxic. (laughs) Um, But uh, obviously it's a phrase that's out there and it's something that people are thinking about right now. And I have felt for many years, and I've written articles a few years ago, um, I, in fact, the first on the topic that I wrote was provocatively called What Women Want, and I wrote that on Huffington Post. <laughs> and um, it's probably the most kind of personal article I've ever written in terms of what it kind of gave away about myself. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what was the but, response to that, by the way? What was it? Really, posit-
0: really positive. Oh. And, and um, yeah, no, because look, here's the thing, you know, I, I, and, and here's, I, I guess, kind of the broader the broader point that I'm making when I kind of dip my toe into gender politics, which I, which I don't often do. Um, but I think there's, we, there's a lot going on now. Um, obviously, you know, there's the whole SJW phenomenon and a lot of them are talking about gender in one way or another. And there's been, I think the pendulum is swinging, but there has been, um, a fear among a lot of normal people to experience themselves and celebrate themselves as robustly gendered mm-hmm. um, as being male or female um, as like a primary identifier. Um, you know, obviously we've come through decades of, uh, Oh, it's all socialized. You know, all the differences are socialized. Right. Um, th- th- you know, you know what I mean? I yeah, think no, I'm sure your exactly your your you all know mean. exactly what I mean. Yeah. Oh, and so, and and, and and
1: yeah. Oh, so good.
0: No no that's right so so um so what we've done is certainly have made a lot of millennial men um I would say my generation and younger, but as I said, might be swinging, the pendulum might be swinging at the gen Z, but I think certainly generation x and and um, millennials, we are scared of being men because we don't understand how to do that in a way that enables women to celebrate being women and to feel like women we're We're scared to indulge in our gender polarity um, in case it's misinterpreted, Mm -hmm. uh, in in case we're being, um, we will be accused of or be seen as being aggressive or even predatory. Mm -hmm. Um, There was the idea that I talked about in my original article, What Women Want, a couple of years ago. I remember being brought up with the idea that, well, you know, no means no, and um, so obviously, if ever you're chasing a woman, the fact that you have to chase indicates that she's not interested, right? right. So you should stop. I mean, that was kind of the, that was the entire sophistication of my yeah, understanding and, and, of dealing. And,
1: <laughs> and really, so was I, I was raised in a very really similar sense and with the same understanding. And also, uh, you know, my father and I growing up would watch a lot of older movies, Western stuff like that. He was a big film buff. And uh, they, that traditional role of male and the way you interact, the way you respond and treat women that, you know, respectful, you can still be strong and masculine. And, uh, and even, you know, like you said, w- people were worried about being too aggressive, but it's not a problem with being aggressive. I feel if you, if, if you know the boundaries and you know, well, indeed, you know, so. yeah, you could be aggressive in the, in discussing or, uh, or, uh, you know, aggressively going up to someone to speak to them. Or even inviting them to your bedroom. However, that all has to be couched within this framework of safety and responsibility,
0: right? And mutual respect. And so, right. so what? Of course, so which gets us actually to the article you're asking me about. Um, I've been listening, as you know, with some uh, surprise to all of these stories that have been coming out in droves, right, about these these guys. Um, You know, uh, who uh, apart from anything else
1: and the and the Lewis C.K.'s of the world,
0: yeah, yeah, all of that, exactly, right? And they're just disrespectful. And and I'm just thinking, well, this, this is bad manners, this is bad manners, this is bad manners. And and it's to me, it's not toxic masculinity, it's not masculinity at all, right? It's it's you know, these kind of qualities. These more, let's say, assertive or or uh, confident, more traditionally masculine qualities. I know as I've grown older, I know increasingly that they are appreciated by uh, women in the right context. But the context is the establishment of mutual respect and trust, which means that, you know, what you you don't shout at a woman something rude out of your car window um you don't make uh, a crude suggestion to her if she's sitting there with a kid in a coffee shop mm-hmm. um in you don't uh, whip out uh, your genitalia just because you've had one too many to drink uh, for what you know whatever you think that's going to get you right and I, the reason i give those examples is because when these stories started coming out i started asking my female friends of you know Have these do these things happen to you on a regular basis? If so, give me a couple of examples from the last month or two. And these were examples that I got. And I was just shocked at the sheer frequency of awful disrespect Mm -hmm. by rude men. And to think that we have a problem with masculinity or sexuality is wrong. It's just bloody bad manners.
1: Well, I think it's um, bad manners, but it's also I think draws from. So I was trying to think of after reading the article, you ask the question, why do you think this is okay? Like for these men that do these things, that yell out the window, that whip their dicks out, why do they think that's okay to do? And I was trying to come up with my own theories on what could cause it, and I you know I went through various various uh, pathways of thought, which you know one leading to what is this a a matter of. Uh, different parenting and, and the breakdown of kind of a nuclear family thing where you don't have the family structure? Uh, or is it a matter of looking at the way people raise their children nowadays, wherein you used to have in, in a traditional sense of child rearing, you would have a uh, strong parental figure that says this is right this is wrong and you know there was a, an emphasis on being strict at, at least to some extent in the way you brought the child there were rules and boundaries you were supposed to follow and the children would graduate to adulthood at some point and it seems now to me that a lot of this can be rooted in you know, these these people bringing up their children and either being a little bit disconnected or self-involved and not raising their children properly to know what's right or wrong and never actually putting the framework in place where people now feel that they are adults. Like, so much of this behavior is ch- is childish. It's very childish. And it's like, you know, be- you need to become an adult at some point. When you, when you become a man, when you are masculine and a man, you have to identify as an adult and act like an adult.
0: And I think and i think what my article is getting to a little bit is if you have told men that they can't be men and you've kind of falsely collapsed the distinction between men and women then you've made it really difficult to actually explain what being an adult means mm-hmm. with respect to the other right to the other gender right like you know, if 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 you tell a man you you're, um you know uh If you tell a man that everybody, (laughs) well, no, I mean, I'm just, uh, it's because there's somebody in the room with me laughing and I was, uh, (laughs) and I'm aware of the laughter and I was distracted. Um, No, but, uh, you know, I used the example in the article, right? That we don't want the same things. Mm -hmm. And if we, as if we culturally can't have a a conversation in some respects, in some respects we do, but if we can't have a, a conversation about, what is different between men and women and what it is that men might do that is received differently. Um... And why, if we can't actually just share facts about gender relations because we have so politicized them, Mm -hmm. right, and everybody's even scared of being gendered and scared of, uh, you know, offending somebody by talking about gender, then you just can't get to the truth of this. Yeah,
1: it's like everybody's terrified of being identified as the cliché man or woman in the traditional roles.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, if you – you know, the the article is saying, look, if there's if there's a if there is a toxic version of masculinity, let's just use that term because it's out there. Mm-hmm. You you're not going to get rid of it by telling men that they're awful at every turn, and part of the reason they're awful is hey, because they're men. You know where do they go with that? What you've got to do is this old-fashioned thing of actually modelling healthy masculinity, just like you have to model healthy femininity, which means you have to have a form of masculinity, a kind of a cultural norm that is celebratory and you know, worthy of celebration. So basically I'm cheerleading for gender polarity and, you know, masculinity and femininity and and men and women. Because one thing, you know, and how I kind of got interested in this was was having come from my kind of generation X upbringing and, you know, lay off no means no. Mm -hmm. um, You know, as the the older I got, the more I discovered that there's a kind of a a beautiful dance between men and women where men get to – Provide the masculine pole that, is the con- that, that kind of sets the contextual field in which the woman can experience themselves as really womanly or feminine, right? Mm-hmm. Now, not all women want to do that. Okay, sure, all the time. But a lot of attraction is about that. A lot of the excitement of being gendered beings is about that. Um, and if we are comfortable with that and we can enjoy it and we can reference that without having to apologize for reference, right? Without having to be coy about it, then, you know, I think we can turn to these men and just say, what the hell are you doing? This is pathetic. You know, this isn't masculine. This is just, it's just pathetic. And yeah, we won't, we won't, Have to pay it so much attention, but the attention we will be paying it will be more accurate because we'll be calling it as what it is, which is it's bloody disrespect. It's not masculine rather than having some weird ideological discussion about some fake kind of masculinity that isn't masculinity at all. Right.
1: And then also I find it's interesting that you've got – People that are going out there like yeah, I'll use Azizan. sorry, just because of that story. It's recently, everybody's still talking about it. But you've got a guy that puts himself forth as this you know, hyper feminist, which is what is being made into the ideal by social conversation these days is against the traditional masculinity and for this feminist masculinity where people are here i guess here's my problem is you see what happens with people they have their public persona where they're saying oh i'm all for mm. women and i'm sensitive and you know women's rights are always uh, paramount and men are terrible and then you see how they act in private and they they resort back to being uh the hypocrisy yeah. yeah the hypocrisy is is clearly apparent and by promoting this false femininity on everybody then you say you know, and granted there's some men which i'm sure that's their natural personality but then are going to adapt this and say, OK, well, I have to be this way. This is what I'm being told, even though it might go against their base instincts or who they are uh, or just the basic gender outlook on life. And by forcing them to adopt this, it's just basically putting on a mask. And that doesn't help anybody.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, this is it. I mean, you know, as in relationships, so in culture, right, it serves everyone if you set the rules, you set the norms and the expectations um, such that people can tell their truth without being scared of the consequences, so, so, so. which means that we all have to grow up, right? Which, in, in as much as we all have to start remembering, and this is a broader point about the whole social justice thing, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, offence is, is never given, it's only ever taken. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and there it is. At some level, there it is, right? Um, because I, I, I also, I mean, again, you see, the thing that's pathetic about these men, I mean, there is something pathetic and I would say extremely unmasculine about about exactly what you've described. Right. Which is. Um, <laughs> well, it's 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 this, pretending it's like is, is having to, to, to say again.
1: It's like it's like a, it's like a sneak attack. You know, it's like it's luring, uh, luring them in under false pretenses. And then, you know, once they take the bait, you spring the trap on them. It's it's because as as a man, you know,
0: you know, no, I, no, you're right. But I was going more to the fear. Oh, okay. like I, I the cowardliness of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, look, if 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 you have a certain experience of if you're a man and you, and you experience your masculinity in a certain way and women in a certain way, then, you know, I mean, don't lie. <laughs> you know? so don't lie. Okay. let me, uh, Try and move the conversation in 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 uh, in the way that you feel is real. Um, or, you know, or you don't have to participate, but don't hold yourself out to be something you're not. It's
1: homogenizing masculinity, too, is that you want to celebrate different people. And, you know, diversity of thought is something that has been pushed to the side so often now. And it's the same thing with this discussion with toxic masculinity and femininity as well. It's
0: Yeah. And, and one thing we had, we're starting to see with and I do believe that, you know, we've hit kind of peak SJW and the pendulum is starting to swing back now. You know. What you need is like one or two cultural or political leaders who just call it, right? Mm -hmm. Who say the Emperor has no clothes here. This is why Jordan Peterson, right, is getting such massive play. Oh yeah. Because there's so many people that are feeling this. So somebody comes along and voices back to them what they already feel. And then it's kind of like this relief, mm-hmm. this intellectual and spiritual relief, right? That, oh, I'm not, you know, that's okay. <laughs> you know, it's, um, and it, yeah.
1: It's shocking how the reaction to him, because he's got you know, people, and, and I'm a huge fan of his. I, I really, you know, I, the, the recent appearance he had on... Uh, I think it was uh, Channel 4 in the UK.
0: Oh, it was excruciatingly wonderful. God, it it really was. (laughs) But it's like you're
1: watching all these false narratives get thrown at him and, you know, someone just putting words in his mouth. You said this. He's like, I never said that. You're extrapolating (laughs) from this. And it's like just watching him very calmly destroy her yeah. world piece by piece and brick by brick, tear it down. But then, I mean, you look at the, the arguments and it ties into what we were saying earlier when he's talking about the broader, I guess, corporate world and the differences between men and women and how you can't just ignore them and say it's all social and it's not true. Uh, you know, we'd have. Yeah.
0: And I, yeah. And we, we you, exactly. And, you know, kind of the, the meta point here is, is that nobody should be scared of insisting of having these discussions in empirical terms, mm-hmm. let anybody make any factual claim and then let's d- approach it with evidence right. and if anybody hears a factual claim and then they jump up and down because they think it offends whatever their favorite victim group is, sorry, yeah, but not sorry, you know, <laughs> sorry, but not sorry, right <laughs>
1: Well, here's the this might be an, a a nice segue into the next topic I want to talk about. Um which is going which is the the LA, well, there's women's marches all over the place that that just happened uh yesterday. So we're recording this on on Sunday, the LA uh, the women's marches everywhere including Los Angeles happened yesterday and they were well covered, apparently very well attended. Uh you know, some of them were saying double the numbers came out as opposed to the initial one, but when we're talking about these uh I guess people kind of screaming and and going on about, uh, I guess they're not even sure about what they're upset about. And I'm seeing it, it, my takeaway from the women's marches is, is that I see a lot of women going out and they've got the, the pink pussy hats on and they've got their signs, but it's hard for me to take away a message as to what they're actually out there for, especially women in in, in the United States. It's they've, you know, women in the United States have it pretty well compared to other nations. And I look at their marching and they're marching and they're talking about the wage gap, which has been debunked quite a bit. Um, they're mm-hmm. talking about, uh, you know, the sexual misconduct that's going on, which, of course, there's some credence to that. But overall, I just it feels to me that it's more outrage against Donald Trump without really being able to name what they're that upset about and more just a glorification of, yes, we're going to go out there and do it just to have fun. And, uh, and we're kind of it's kind of like noise for the sake of making noise and, and just feeling good. So, I and mean, what's your take on it? I don't, well, the, uh, I don't want to put my they, views on you because they may be drastically different.
0: So it's, you're saying it's kind of like the current version of the Rage Against the Machine, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's yeah, exactly. yeah. I, I mean, no, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I haven't turned on the news for days. I, you know, I, <laughs> smart man. Like I, yeah, I, I'm kind of more. <laughs> I am more focused on this. What I see, this kind of broader change or that that I think is kind of going on in historic time if you like Mm -hmm. um that that is the pendulum hitting its peak Mm -hmm. right hitting its extreme in one way and I um and I'm seeing this in many different ways right so um let me if I can kind of step back from your question a bit because then I can say something that I know a little bit more about but I believe I believe related um I was on a panel at I doing a panel on identity politics here in Seattle not long ago and I told the story of a friend of mine um a woman who uh is a she she's a, she's a PhD student and teaches in the history department at UW, right University of Washington and she was put on she not only her she and a couple of other people were put under tremendous pressure for simply refusing to cancel their class on a day when there was an anti-Trump march. Now her having her class, which was scheduled, didn't stop any of her students going to the anti-Trump march. She's not pro-Trump. She just wanted to do her job that day because she's got a responsibility to her students. Right. But, but the other, the majority of um, the teaching assistants in the history department, the history department, I'm not calling talking about gender studies, right. <laughs> yeah. I'm i we're like, we made her and a couple of others uh, feel very uncomfortable because she didn't kind of show this kind of, she didn't politicize right. her schedule, basically. And, and this is a and,
1: public, and, and UW, I believe, is a state school, right? Or is it? It's I believe right? so. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's it be so. a public institution. And by making, by saying, okay, we're going to class cancel classes yes. for a Trump rally, you're making a very politicized statement that is very, indeed, Democrat.
0: Indeed. And and for what it's worth, um, you know, this uh, individual uh, who didn't want to cancel her class for some time had to share an office with a guy who had, um, was it, I don't know if it was Che Guevara or Karl Marx or socialist worker. It was one of those kind of very extreme left wing posters, which for me, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that up in uh, as a teacher in my office, knowing that I've got students of all views coming to me. Right. Because. Absolutely inappropriate. But anyway, there she was. So I told this story and I and I said, I think people even in um, Democratic Seattle are looking at this kind of thing and going enough is enough. And I am increasingly speaking to Democrats who are looking at, let's say, you know, the more extreme wing of their party, the, the, the hard left, if you like, and looking, turning towards turning away from those who have a more extreme – idea, who share their ideology Mm -hmm. towards those who share a more civil and decent way of conducting politics, right, which means that they're starting to now to find – I don't want to say allies, but they're starting to be able to talk more with folks with whom they may not have been partisan allies before, mm-hmm. right? Because there are so many people across the spectrum going, well, look, we might disagree on some of the issues, but but metapolitically, the, this way of doing politics has to change. Mm-hmm. Now, when I told this story at the panel, um, a middle-aged... Black man came up to me afterwards and said, Robin, thanks for, you know, uh, giving a talk. And um, I just want to let you know that uh, what you said about UW was, quote, absolutely accurate, unquote. And I said, well, thank you very much. How do you know? He said, because I am a law professor there. Oh, nice. And he said, thing, he said, I have to give a class on diversity issues next semester. And I am, quote, absolutely terrified, unquote. Now, this guy, this African-American law professor, was one of those children back in the day who had to sit at the back of the bus mm-hmm. because of the color of his skin, um, you know, half a century ago, right? Mm-hmm. And there he is wondering, how the hell do we deal with this? Yeah. And he said that some of his um, the black students in his class, he is aware, are unable, feel unable to share their honest political views in their class because they're concerned they may not be sufficiently left-wing and identitarian for other students of color in their class. And I I, I was like, oh my God. So I was fascinated by this. I went and met this professor a few days later on campus and we Mm -hmm. talked more about it. But when it's got to that point, right, it's Herbert Stein's law. Anything that can't carry on Mm -hmm. won't. Right. And so I'm, you know, I come out of that panel, I'm talking to folks from the audience and, you know, I ended up talking to a Democratic consultant who completely agreed with me. Mm-hmm. Which now that's not what you expect, no, right? No, it, but no. I'm seeing this happen all over the place now. Well,
1: it's, like it's the stories you hear. You hear a lot now with these campus protests, the SJWs, where they're, they're interrupting classes. Like there was, a, there, you know, I, I was reading some recent article about students interrupting a class on history, and they were, you know, coming in and marching around and yelling because they said it was too focused on white, you know, white corporate owners yeah. uh, talking about you know the industrial era. Meanwhile, it's just because. That's history. You know, there weren't a lot in America. There weren't a lot of black people leading giant corporations at the time because, you know, that whole slavery thing happened. So but they're marching around and it's actually the the black students are, are getting fed up. And now these these black students in this circumstance weren't, uh, I guess, too concerned about appearing enough uh, on the social justice spectrum. But they are the ones that stand up and say, get the fuck out of here. I'm trying to get an education. You know, I'm paying fifty thousand dollars for this. Stop right. the class and get out.
0: Do you know, I asked I asked the professor that I, that I just mentioned to you. When we sat down for lunch a few days later and discussed this at length, mm-hmm. why, like, how this is being allowed to carry on, right?
1: Right. Why because be expelled as and it, it's it yeah. I mean, it's, it takes away from the education, and, right? And the money. I mean, these people are paying a lot of money for an education and to have it interrupted constantly. Yeah, expel them, suspend them. I mean, you shouldn't be afraid to actually keep some sort of uh, of peace right. and uh, and a calm there
0: well, so I asked him exactly that question in in pretty much that way, and he actually said that the interesting thing was it was his impression that um a lot of the administration are actually they don't have now i don't i don't want to put words into his mouth, but the gist was that they're actually um lacking in their own moral confidence in their own uh Responsibilities in their own worldview. In other words, he thinks that they're second guessing themselves. That maybe there's something here that they're missing. That maybe that um, you know, students today, some of these let's call them SJWs for now, right? Um, that maybe they do have a grievance that is akin to the grievances that uh, this gentleman legitimately had when he was a young man sitting at the back of the bus because, you know, he was black on the East coast, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, but, and, and we we went back and forth on it. And I was like, well, look, you know, in a way we all have a moral and intellectual responsibility to be prepared to change our views in when we get new information, when that, and that information might well include uh, information about the experiences of other human beings in very different situations from ours, but that is not at odds with also saying my job is to administrate a university. The university's job is to provide an education. That means that certain things are game on this campus. And some are not, some are not in play. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you would like to, you know, be activists and learn how to be activists and, 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 and practice being activists, then that's fine. Go do it, but don't do it here in this context, because our responsibility is to make sure as you were saying that people get this education in this context. And, um, and it's, and he and I agreed on that. And I would say this, this professor is certainly, uh, of a much more uh, progressive per- persuasion than I, mm-hmm. but we we saw eye to eye on that entirely, and and you know I think we we came to a common belief that that simply these <laughs> that the people running the asylum should actually take back the asylum, right? right. And you on the grounds there, and there's nothing arrogant about it, right? They're not setting themselves up in some kind of like moral with some moral superiority. It's that they have a job to do, and You know, anybody is welcome to go elsewhere for their education if they want to be in a university that um, puts education above, you know, any kind of the promotion of any kind and, of political and ideology
1: seeing that too, because I remember that was, I think it yes. was uh, uh Mizzou, uh university, you know, uh, Missouri university. They had this whole flap with the social justice warriors and the football team refusing to play. And there, I mean, all, all these, these colleges you see, it's these already breaking. Yeah, it is. And you're saying, they're, no, no, they're it's breaking. You, dropped. Enrolled,
0: exactly. Evergreen college, the same thing. Yeah. You've got this fantastic initiative by Jonathan Hyde heterodox Acad- Academy. Um, You know, uh, he's the evolutionary psychologist who's now working for greater intellectual diversity um, in the academy, uh, doing amazing work. Obviously, you're seeing um, as a less kind of formal thing, just the sheer numbers that are following people like Jordan Peterson. Mm -hmm. Um, So like it's 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 sucked in this phenomenon has kind of sucked in so much attention and people are so bored of it because it's it's collapsing under its own, the weight of its own inconsistency. Right. Um, I mean, you know, I gave a speech recently. I said, we live in interesting times. Um, We are privileging the voices of some groups over others in the name of giving all groups an equal voice. We are um, equating speech with violence to justify doing violence against those who speak right i mean it's so orwellian and but and even if people wouldn't articulate it in that way they can see it they can feel it right you know the mainstream is reacting Mm -hmm. and all of the the little examples i gave and you know the examples from these different colleges um and these different initiatives uh, it's showing that the pendulum's it's maxed out now. It's well, maxed on, out.
1: Well, on that, let's because that, that'll that'll go right into the next topic. I want to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to come back. So I want to talk to you about how this pendulum is swinging back, and in the uh, era of Donald Trump, how that's interacting, and how you've you've found it with your work and helping mm, people yeah, sure. political divides. How that is reacting in the in the world we're seeing today. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Robin Kerner. Hey guys, you might remember that I recently said that this is the libertarian moment and that we need more people to stand up and run for office. Now, if you're tired of watching Liberty erode and you plan to stand up and run for office, I want you to call on a team that has over 20 years' experience Global Alliance Communications. They specialize in data analytics, identifying and mobilizing voters. They offer live voter outreach, data acquisition, compliance, recorded messages, text messaging with full social media touchpoints, and teletown halls. Campaigns of all types and sizes are encouraged to reach out, and you can find out more by visiting their website at www.gacigroup.com or email info at gacigroup.com. All right, we are back with Robin Kerner. So, as I said, I want to talk more about this this pendulum swinging and if it's actually going to be easier to talk to people now, even though there's still so much vitriol towards Donald Trump, and you're still seeing the media, of course, is not helping things. Very politicized, uh, a lot of left leaning. You know, I, I saw a recent poll where progressives trust CNN, and of course, conservatives trust Fox News, but people seem to still be very angry at donald trump and it's still hard to have a discussion with people even though empirically if you look at his first year of presidency america's doing pretty well so what are what is your take on this is are you-
0: i've got a very simple i've got a very simple answer to to this i think which is when it comes to controversial political topics don't talk about them <laughs> don't talk about them until somebody asks you to don't give an opinion Until somebody solicits it. So much of effective political communication is finding your time, finding the right moment. And that moment, in one way or another, is the moment when the person you're trying to communicate with um indicates their receptivity to you. Now, Jonathan Haidt talks about um moving the bar down from must I believe it to can I believe it? Mm -hmm. And this is very much in line with like, you know, what I do in my political psychology training and stuff like that right most of the time um, if you go at some if you challenge somebody's political paradigm they their cognitive defenses are, are set to 100% which means if they can find one reason to not believe what you're telling them um, some reason to believe that it's it's false, the fact your facts are wrong, it's incomplete, et cetera, et cetera, then they will reject it.
1: Right. It's like the, um, the automatic rebound because people, have uh, they bring in such an identity with their personalities and their beliefs that they, they uh, the, the harder you fight for it, if it's, if you don't have an opening, the harder they will push back Just out as an automatic response.
0: Yeah. I mean, because, you know, when you're having an argument or, you know, let's say a, an, a, when there's an intellectual back and forth, if if for you to be, if, 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 if the other person has to kind of admit they're wrong to allow you to be right in some respect, then you've created a zero sum game, mm-hmm. right? And intellectually, a zero sum game. And and as I go into at great length in my book and in my seminars, right? Uh, paradigms are, are, are prevailing way of looking at the world, let's say our current way of looking at are so sticky, right? And I. They're they're neurologically sticky. They're psychologically sticky. Um, we defend them even if we don't consciously even want to be defending them. Right? Um, <laughs> it works even down at a cellular level. It's uh, but it's a that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but but um. So 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 don't go at somebody that way. You know, it's much better to try and find the point of common ground from which you can formulate a let's say a shared problem. Um. Or a problem at least which that you can perceive in broadly the same way mm-hmm. and then have a discussion about uh you know, make the discussion more empirical. Mm-hmm. See the problem is when you're throwing um ideological claims at somebody who has a point of view, and that's what you're doing if you're having a political conversation, because the other person's having a political conversation, right? Then then they can always they can always object. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, yeah, obviously, but there's a lot of ways about talking about issues that can't be objected to ideologically because you don't make uh, ideological assertions. You don't make general assertions. Let's say, for example, you can tell stories, right? You can actually tell a story about an individual that illustrates a point that were the person Uh, that you're talking to, to consider, Mm -hmm. they would have to adjust whatever view they've just given you that you believe to be wrong because the view doesn't, let's say, deal with the issue presented in the narrative. Mm -hmm. If I tell you a story about a person, you can't object to the story ideologically. That doesn't even make logical sense. You, you being a person too, empathize, you put yourself in it. So if you can do that, then you, um, you can get through to people in a different way, right? Um, instead of doing argument, you're kind of engaging, you're engaging human empathy. You're engaging a different part of the brain, actually. Right, right, um, right. And so we're much less resistive. If I tell you a story, I am not consciously at least or overtly at least requiring that you consent to any idea that I have or position I hold, right? Mm-hmm. That's fundamentally different from having a political argument. And, um, and one of the articles that you're going to see coming out on fee, I think it's going to be my next one is going to be exactly how this works. And it's going to be entitled, um, the advance of Liberty depends on stories, not arguments.
1: Hmm. All right, I will be sure to share that when I see it pop up.
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it'll come out this, this week. Um, but yeah, so, so, so this is, uh, again, to come back to the beginning of my answer to your question, I don't know, to be honest, why anybody would be getting into an argument with someone where, you know, it's just a hide into nothing. You've got to establish the common ground and or relationship, which means that it won't be a hide into nothing before you even start. And that means being patient. That means um, not using your political positions and arguments as an ego trip. That means not needing to be right. And that That means playing the long game.
1: Yeah, that, by the way, is something that I find the liberty movement has a big problem with.
0: <laughs> right <laughs> I mean for being
1: very honest it's a it's a real problem because people you know libertarians, they uh, everybody likes to say, OK, well, I know so much, you know, libertarians tend to be very well educated on a lot of issues economically. It just kind of goes along with the the ideals and the theories. But when you take that and you start talking to somebody and these people come across as just I know this, here's what I believe. Here's the theory. You need to agree. If you don't, you're crazy or wrong. It, it just turns people off immediately. And what you're saying about telling stories like I, I can't think of a story to stick the top of my head. But what I've been trying to do in my own conversations now with people that are very progressive is find find that like you're saying the common ground where and i'm saying look we we want the same end result but we just have to find a different way to get there let me show you a scenario in which it makes sense to achieve what you're talking about but via the means that i would believe in and yeah and you, that know, you get more engagement and they can see okay i can see how that would work now
0: yeah and you know it you can actually kind of practice this offline even right in as much as you might have particular views you want to share. Um, let's say with you know with a progressive friend with whom you disagree politically about the best way to solve a, some social economic issue. You can literally change. You can do it on a piece of paper. Write down you know the claims you're going to want to make or the assertions you're going to want to offer, and turn them into questions. Mm-hmm. Turn them into questions whose answer. L- which lead the person you're speaking to in the direction of the answer, right? Um, or, you know, uh, the, the politics of the left are largely the politics of good intent. They tend to um, uh, the left tends to experience its support for policies as coming out of a notion of care, right? right? It, Aaron, it's a Aaron. it's a care harm mm-hmm. axis. Mm-hmm. Um, now, libertarians can again, you can you can do homework. You can make this like homework. You can reformulate your positions as, um, statements of caring for victim groups, mm-hmm. like you can actually look at, at the things you believe and say, you know, if X, then, then this group is cared for more effectively because basically, right. right. Um, so instead of saying, you know, I love capitalism and, and um, capitalism is a great way to, uh, reduce poverty. You say, I want to reduce poverty Here's ways that I've seen that have worked in the past, you know, just flip it on its head. Right now, that might that might sound like trivial when I say it, so trivial, but we don't do it because if you if you go at somebody and you tell them about, um, uh, you know, capitalism or, or banking or the monetary system, all these things that we're interested in and we're right to be interested in them because they are so fundamental. If the topic you open with isn't something they're already interested in, you have failed to hook them. Yeah. If, however, rather than start your discussion about um, the monetary system um, with actual money, you start that discussion with poverty, mm-hmm. right? which might take a little reworking of the logic, but you cover exactly the same ground in a different direction, then you can have much more success.
1: Yeah. And that's, With the presentation actually, of
0: exactly the same facts.
1: And that's exactly, poverty is exactly the topic I've chosen. When I do talk to progressives a lot, that's, that's one of my favorite things to talk about because there's an instance where you can point to using the, the systems in place right now, you know, this, this care versus harm. Progressives believe that we need to put more money into the welfare system and into food stamps and into all these uh, social support services and, and just giving checks to people. Meanwhile, statistically, it hasn't worked. So you can say, OK, well, what you believe in is is caring actually is harming because the poverty rate continues to increase. The people are not escaping the poverty line. They're just simply getting getting money but staying in the same socioeconomic status. So I then try no, to yeah. move on and argue that by going a different way, by de- deregulation, by creating tax-free zones to incentivize business uh, and programs that are more in line with libertarian thinking, I can use the context of we're both trying to get people out of poverty – And it comes across much more effective and you get out of that whole you don't care, you know, don't you don't you give a shit about the poor. All you care about is is theory type of thing that libertarians fall trapped to so often.
0: No, that's great. And, you know, that's a a good example um, on which to hang another really good principle Mm -hmm. of political uh, communication, which is especially when you're dealing with folks on the left, see them and raise them. Um outflank them as a libertarian from the left in this respect. Mm -hmm. Um, Like say to them, I get that we've got a problem here and you want to treat the the symptoms. But do you agree if we could treat the causes, Mm -hmm. then that would be better than treating the symptoms. Right.
1: Um
0: like I I wanna I want to treat the symptoms, but I want to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um let's not do the harm in the first place, right? Exactly. So, so um and then when you frame it that way and then you present your you know an idea that that gets to the um uh so for example the monetary system too right you know the 99% and the 1% mm-hmm. yeah you can say there is no tax system progressive enough to put this right if all yeah you know, all the while we have a monetary system that that necessarily funnels assets to a actually a fraction of the top 1% yeah that can do things with money that if the rest of us did we'd be locked up right <laughs> so do you agree we should at least you know stop doing the harm All right and 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 then when you when you talk when you bring a new fact to the discussion that is sim- that is clearly rooted in the um in the motivation of the person you're speaking to you not only bring the wall down you kind of become serious mm-hmm Right, it's like it forces the other person to now walk with you in the same direction.
1: Well, you know, we saw a perfect example of that. We were talking about the Jordan Peterson interview on uh, on you know Channel Four in the UK, yeah. And there was a perfect example of that, wherein he flipped the argument that uh, that the the host was making, talking about <laughs> free speech and use of words, and he flipped it on it and said, "Well, you're using your free speech to attack me on your program. So how do you equate that? You know, if you have that ability." And she just was completely. <laughs> done silence. And, she, and he goes, I got you. And she goes, you did get me. And she just sat there really trying to find a way to argue against it because he had used her own terminology and her own worldview to basically put her in a box from which she could not escape.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was that was he's very clever. And that was. He was debating really effectively. Yes. Um, I'm talking about not having a debate in some ways mm-hmm. making what could otherwise be a debate, a shared exploration.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to get on the same team and a, a collaborative, yeah. a collaborative discussion yeah. rather than a debate.
0: And then, and, the, and it can always be done. Now there are some, you started with the, you know, the, 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 the anti-Trump stuff and, and some of that, look, you know, we don't need to get everybody. We don't even need a majority. Um, we need a decent minority, uh, and you know, and a lot of effective political communication is to identify the people who really aren't worth the time and then move on to the ones who are, right? I mean, you know, th- those people do exist. I mean, there's lots of them. And um, you know, so that that don't forget that, right? Like you like we can look at all this stuff going on, this insanity. Um, this aggression on both sides, um, this identitarianism on both sides, and we can just say, oh, I'm not, not playing. Like, just don't play. Like, it, it's not worth our energy because there's so many other people who are watching that and thinking, oh, my God, this is ridiculous, mm-hmm. that don't yet agree with us politically. But that who we could reach more easily and we could actually use our shared disgust at all that extreme nonsense as a point in common
1: right and i you know on that exact topic i had made a i on a podcast a few episodes ago i had said that this was in fact because of all of the social justice warrior uh, initiatives going on because of the anti trump hate that this actually could provide us with the true libertarian moment, which everybody was talking about being years ago, but it could actually be now because people will be more open to hearing ideas from our perspective because they're against the Democrats. They're against the Republicans. People are sick of all of the politicization and they're open to new ideas coming from a different perspective.
0: Yes, no, that's right. I mean, we're going to see, I think, um, a change in the flavor of politics over the next half a generation that, that's going to surprise people. Um, For example, the swing of the pendulum might involve this. Politics, when people think of politics now, they think of, you know, big groups of people espousing, kind of making big claims that are kind of morally loaded Mm -hmm. about large groups of people. It's all kind of general and abstract and declarative, Mm -hmm. right? Politics is largely declarative. Now, there have been other times in history um, when the pendulum has swung where people choose their politicians much more not on the big statements they make, but on how do they treat the people that they meet in their lives? How do they actually live their lives? What goes on inside the walls of their home, right? It becomes much more micro than macro, much more concrete, um, much kind of um, human, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um where we, and we've already seen, of course, more and more politicians, and this is true both sides of the pond, um, getting uh, support because of their gentleness, their decency, their civility, their authenticity, mm-hmm. right? Those things that you can have regardless of your political views. Um, there's a gentleman in um, uh, England, a uh, uh, Conservative member of parliament called uh, Reese Mogg okay and as his name suggests he's like he lives in the wrong century the guy's like the last aristocrat right (laughs) um everything about him is puts him outside the mainstream he's a catholic with quite orthodox catholic views on things like abortion um which you know in europe that's not an issue everybody's pro-choice in britain everybody's pro-choice in europe right um he's his views are, are really outside the mainstream, but he is completely and, – and he he runs up against the kind of the inverted snobbery, right? Oh, here's someone from Privilege, mm-hmm. right? No, he, and he, But he doesn't try to hide it. He just puts out who he is, and he's this soft-spoken spoken, um, person who, like he has said publicly, he's never changed a diaper in his life. And um, and he wouldn't because nanny would be very upset if he tried. And when the interviewer asked him which nanny, the nanny he had when he was a boy or the nanny of his five children, he says it's the same nanny, (laughs) which tells you something about this family. Now, this guy is so in his views, in his way of life, so removed from the people he represents. But right now, he might be the biggest political celebrity in England. Why? Because he's gentle, he's decent, he's civil, he's soft-spoken, and he's completely authentic. And all of these things. In other words, he's an antidote, Mm -hmm. right? He's like the anti-SJW. He's anti-identitarian politics. He's anti-grandstanding. He's anti-big declarations. Now, so not only... Will we see potentially an ideological swing? We might see kind of a meta-political swing, and a swing in how politics is done. And so it's really important to me, and a lot of my writing is about this now, um, that we get – we can see this. The liberty movement can see this and understand it and, and gen up on how to exploit it, mm-hmm. right? Um, on how to come over, come off right with the people who we want to listen to us. Because as I said earlier, it's not about making the perfect argument. That helps, but that doesn't win a supporter. Winning an argument isn't the same as winning a supporter. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. You know? And yeah, so all of these things. In fact, in of in fact things, winning
1: an argument oftentimes they can have the reverse effect.
0: <laughs> absolutely. You've said it exactly right. Yeah. You know, win your argument at what cost?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. And that's what, you uh know, saying overarchingly, libertarians uh, win a lot of arguments. I'll put it that way.
0: <laughs> to <Yeah>. our detriment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know you've got to wonder, actually, what an argument won really is if you haven't actually changed the mind of the person you've spoken to.
1: Yeah, it's, all it does is leave them feeling uh, a little bit sour towards you, uh, embarrassed, most likely, and more adamant in their views to find a way in which you were wrong the next time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
1: it's, that's it's right. self-defeating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, part of um, something that's worth taking a heart for a lot of libertarians is in the long run, it's you may you will have a much better effect for liberty in America. If in an interaction, rather than get out the entire libertarian canon, you know, an interaction with some new person, you give them a surprisingly good experience of a libertarian Mm -hmm. that challenges Whatever they think is true of people that they give that identity to, right? Don't right? Hit them with
1: taxation is theft, right off the bat.
0: <laughs> Do you know? You know what? That's don't probably don't hit them with that at all. No, because if it is, let them let them work that out and see if they it, they're either going to get there and believe it or not. If they don't believe it and you just tell it to them, they are just what does it give you? The, the fee since we started talking about fee at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. They're doing they have quite sophisticated data analytics and they I can't remember the exact um, context in which I was told this. But I was told that they have tracked a number of the impact of a number of libertarian statements throughout all of the things that they publish. And the one that they believe has the there's like a 100 of them, right? Of, of kind of libertarian tropes and the one that they've identified as being the least effective of all is taxation is theft
1: yeah it's, it's a it's a darling among hardcore libertarians for all the wrong reasons and and i'm not surprised to hear that at yes. all although i am fascinated uh i gotta do some research into this into these tropes at the research because it sounds really interesting but yeah because i'd love to I'm see hoping... it, there was a list saying what are what are the most effective and and maybe explore that in another podcast
0: yeah, no, I actually would love to um when Jeffrey I think it was Jeffrey who told me that. Um, I I got excited. I said, you know, one day I want to sit down and look at this data. Um, because obviously, you know, I'm in political psychology and communications for the purposes of advancing liberty mm-hmm. and I am also an empiricist, right? Um, you know, I have what I think a good idea is sometimes, but if the data tell me they ain't good, then like, yeah, I'm exactly. the first to move on. Because right? exactly.
1: it's like so, yeah, if, you could, if we could find if, if they've got the data and say, what are the most persuasive arguments for libertarianism for which to to open a conversation or to or to put forth during a campaign? I mean, that is incredibly valuable to to the movement and to uh, I'm sure they can monetize that <laughs> in some way, shape or form. Yeah, quite. <laughs> but no, that's. Yeah, that's I mean. Here.
0: This and th- this does sound like a good time to plug my book, actually, because yeah, even though for, I don't for, yeah, for, have that data I'm, set. I'm, that's perfect.
1: That's, gonna, I'll let you I'll let you plug away because I'm going to wrap the episode uh, anyway. So so get it get a good book plug in there.
0: Well, I was just going to say, since, you know, we're right on on top of this topic now, um, even in the absence of, of that exact list of data from fee, uh, my book. um which you kindly mentioned uh, earlier, if you can keep it, why we nearly lost it and how we get it back is exactly about how to message libertarianism in a way that actually wins supporters, not just arguments. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've got quite a track record on that, even though I say it myself. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I would invite folks that really want to know how to do this, um to, to actually if you go to robinkerner.com which is my new rep website r-o-b-i-n-k-o-e-r-n-e-r.com uh, if you order the book from there i'll send you pers- a personally signed copy um if well, you're within I'll the i'll go and state. visit
1: myself
0: <laughs> uh, well that sounds like a good idea brian <laughs> um and so so yeah so if any of your you know listeners um you know i i'd Love to send them a signed copy.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So, well, make sure if you guys, if you order that, if you order that copy, make sure to mention it so Robin does know that he can address it to a friend of the Lions of Liberty.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? I will know anyway, Brian, because I'll see the massive peak yes. in sales from uh, when you when the show gets uh, God published. Damn right. <laughs> well, this has been a
1: lot of fun, Robin. It's always great having you on, and I uh, appreciate you taking the time on a on a Sunday, which is when we're recording to uh, yeah. to put put forth these. Really interesting thoughts about the Liberty Movement, about political discussion, uh, and, of course, about masculinity and femininity in this day and age. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, Guys, I want to thank you for listening to the Lions Liberty podcast and remind everybody that we have multiple shows here. We've got Mark with in-depth interviews at the Liberty Movement on Mondays. Uh, We actually have a a Libertarians in Living Room drinking liquor show, which you just heard this Monday as well. And uh, those are always fun. That's where Robin had initially come on. Yes,
0: I remember that.
1: Always <laughs> oh, a good time. I uh, John Odermatt with Felony Fridays every Friday, looking at the injustice within the criminal justice system. And guys, please do give us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to support the show, go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. And we now have a donation page in case you're big in the crypto market and want to donate some cryptocurrency. So with all that being said, I am Brian McWilliams. That was Robin Kerner. And from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in too little.